Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 190. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by veteran homeschooling mother of eight boys, Trisha Cavanaugh. Even while dealing with illness and adapting to food allergies while managing the education of eight young men, Trisha helps us to see the treasure and the joy of homeschooling. Sometimes as winter sets in and lingers, we can focus on the dreariness. We hope that our conversation with Trisha will help you to turn this time into a time of joy that you'll treasure. So grab a cup of coffee or tea and sit down by the fire and enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and chief homeschooling officer for Colby Academy. Stephen, hi, what's a good word today? All right, so I've been trying to figure out, it's it's a verb today, and I, I'm not exactly sure what, it sounds like it's an imperative when I just say a verb though, So, but embark is what I wanted to kind of like setting off on a journey sort of thing. But um, it's, it seems like I'm demanding that you do something when I just say embark, so it's a little odd, but <laughs> embark. Okay. It's fitting. This is the start of a fresh new year, fresh and shiny. Excellent. Embarking on this new year with us, here is our our guest, Trisha Kavanaugh, the Colby mom in Canada. Hi, Trisha. Welcome to the Colby cast. Thank you, Bonnie. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really grateful that you're joining us today and looking forward to getting to know you a bit. I understand you're not feeling very well today, unfortunately. And so I hope that you feel better pronto. And it, in a little bit of a departure from my usual way of doing things, I would like to start there actually in talking about the very common experience of homeschooling while mom's not feeling well, while kids aren't feeling well, um, that sort of thing. So how does that tend to go in your family? What's that like for mm-hmm. you? Yeah, well, I'd have to preface that by saying um, we have eight boys. That's always the high point of interest. I feel like I I brought out the big guns already. (laughs) That's always the part that grabs people. So only boys, eight boys. And so when we get a virus, by the time it cycles through the eight, and myself and my husband, we're ready for the next one and we're cycling through again. And we were saying how it was quite different um, pre-COVID. We were remembering the days when you used to go everywhere with your viruses and life didn't really stop. Um, but now there's still a sensitivity to that. Um, so we find that um, we're more apt to miss um, some of our activities or programming because of it. Um, but I think that's a place where I've again learned a certain degree of surrender. I, by nature, I think I'm a pusher. I have a drive to complete things and to push others to do so. And so God has been good um, through through the experience of, of illness, I think, because it forces a slowing down, um, a stopping. I've learned the benefit, instead of saying, try to keep going, try to get something done, to saying, go to bed, go to bed and rest. And um, the healing that happens just for the little ones, who heals so quickly of going to bed for the morning, bringing them some tea, something warm to drink, just having them read. But it's a little one sending up an older one to read to them while I continue teaching. And then typically they'll pop back down and they feel refreshed. I think oftentimes uh, my own desire to push through brings a burden of exhaustion to them as well when it's a time for them where they really do need to rest. And I was mentioning before to you, before we started to record that we went through a particular cross maybe six years ago where we literally had the stomach flu for about six to seven months and we'd cycle through and cycle through. And that was very debilitating. Um, Our boys have particular health issues. So um, in terms of their immunity, uh, so we handle viruses differently here and that was hard. I did reach a crisis point with that. I remember it was part of it covered Lent. 
And I said, wow, that was a good land. <laughs> that was the desert. Um, for sure. For sure. But you know, that was a grace too, because that led us into new learnings about our health. That was a, that was a platform where um, I made particular dietary changes um, and certain um, efforts that needed to be made for their health that I find can get pushed over um, just trying to complete that to-do list every day. It's often a time I think the Lord says, stop, you know, slow down. Is there something else you need to tend to? Maybe you need to tend to that child. Maybe the more important thing than getting through that math lesson is to make that little one a cup of tea and read them a book. So I think it's a reframing of what the Lord is saying and what the priority is in that time. That surrender idea of surrender is uh, really something it is, isn't it? When we we have certainly when we have our agenda before us, homeschooling, this all needs to get done. These things have to happen, and we have to kind of forge ahead. and And that's not that's not entirely the case all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and learning to kind of recognize that, and then also surrender the for me, what comes next? Like, how are we going to make this up? How does this get? <laughs> How do we get caught back up? This is going to impact our momentum. That sort of, those sorts of things I have to hand those over to or attempt to anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I've learned too, I think they tend to get hit harder by the viruses when they're little. And I also find that time I've, I've learned is so much easier to make up. You know, I used to think starting out that, you know, every day, from junior kindergarten, you got you had to hit on it and hit on it and hit on it, you know. And I realized that that's not the case. It's so so relational, um, as it is with all of them. But in those days, spending the time reading the books, and each year they grow, they learn that much faster. So you can cover, you know, if you had a really rotten senior kindergarten year, you can get all that done in grade one probably in two weeks. And if you had a rotten grade one. You can cover that in a month in grade two. I find the learning accelerates and the comprehension um, to the point that I've been able to let go of that need to accomplish every day. That's inspirational. That's a, it, that is um, hard earned, I think. Like we don't just arrive there. Absolutely. <laughs> that wasn't a pretty process. So <laughs> that didn't go down well. I'll tell you, that's the beauty of this homeschool. It's the learning is certainly not just the children. The amount of learning, um, it was a particular gift to me from God in so many areas, not just, I mean, the academic learning that I go through with him. I didn't learn formal grammar in school, but that's been a grace to me. I didn't learn Latin in school. I've learned that with them. So many different subjects, but also um, my own character development, my own spiritual development, my own self-knowledge, so important to my my growth and knowing myself, knowing who God is, who I am in relation to God, all of these things. um, It's a lot of learning every day, um, which means that there has to be a place for rest too. There has to be time to absorb everything that happens in a day. Those are not the things that are readily apparent when we're heading into this homeschooling venture, right? And they are, they turn out to be Tremendously valuable lessons. Yes, I, mm-hmm. I, I have found that similar to be true for myself. Yeah. Well, I hope you all get to feeling better quickly. Thank you. And stay well from there. They hope the uh, the cycle stops here. So absolutely, <laughs> hit the pause button on that one <laughs> and, then, and yeah. keep well the rest of the semester. So let's zoom out a bit. Tell us, you've mentioned you have eight boys, and you've been. It mm-hmm. sounds like you've been at this homeschooling thing for a bit. So tell us, mm-hmm. tell us more about yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. So I calculated um, when I was invited to do this that I've been homeschooling for 14 years. Yeah. And I feel like I should feel like a veteran and more competent, but it still feels brand new. And I think because it's such a dynamic process to homeschool, every day is is so fresh and changing. Um, but I think the homeschooling, just like the eight boys were a surprise. I come from a family of one sister um, and jumped to eight boys. 
And then the homeschooling was a surprise. So I think God knows I love surprises. <laughs> and so it's part of my, my history of surprises. So now um, I have Jacob, the eldest, grade 12. He just submitted his university applications today. That's our timing in Canada for early application. I have Gabriel in grade 10 at Colby and James in grade eight. This is always a test. At least you're not asking me their birthdays. Like, <laughs> it's a test to remember their names and ages. So here I go. I wouldn't do that. And I then... know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have Benjamin grade six, John grade five, Joseph grade three, Samuel grade one, and Anthony in preschool. And so we came to homeschooling. It was almost the way you invited me to this podcast, Bonnie. It was a very persuasive, patient push. <laughs> and so we did not have it in our minds to homeschool. I come from a family who worked in the Catholic public education system. My sister was a teacher. My mom, my father was a principal. Um, but it ended up that when... Jacob was born, he had a host of life-threatening food allergies to very common foods. So all dairy, all wheat, eggs, mustard seed, the list went on and on. And so we were counseled when we went in for the junior kindergarten meeting by the principal to keep him at home. She felt it would be too dangerous and too isolating. So we took off from there. And through the grace of God, I have um, a cousin who is my godmother who has 10 children now, but she homeschooled from the beginning, and it was very uncommon then. Um, so she had a community that we were invited into, and we enjoyed it so much, and we began to see the fruits. One of the greatest graces was being able to live the faith concretely. I think the little ones are so moved by the signs and the beauty and to live that liturgical calendar so that we could bring that in every day. And the joy of being able to do science at the zoo, for example, instead of reading a book and all the beautiful experiences. And it went so well, we did it the next year. So the children kept coming <laughs> and were considered a medical mystery by our immunologist because all eight children have the same set of allergies to the same degree, which is unheard of. Um, but with all crosses, there come blessings. So we now, even the boys who have sufferings from this situation, have a deep gratitude for these allergies. It was the way that God led us here when he knew we would have been off on a completely different path without that. So it's a real testimony to, to God's provision and him answering desires, I think, in our hearts that we don't even know we have because now that I'm here it's it's a place of great joy for me but I never would have known that um had he not let us here wow to homeschool in Canada are there certain steps you have to take or is it like a province by province thing similar to the United States where it's state by state kind of would you give us a bit more scoop on that whole scene mm -hmm. absolutely so Homeschooling is not as common in Canada as in the United States, but it's growing. And so I was looking at the most recent stats. And so of the 5.7 million school-aged children and teens, pre-COVID, there were 41,000 homeschooling. COVID time, it doubled. And then it went back to 67,000. So some are still maintaining the homeschooling. We're very blessed in Ontario because education... Um, is regulated provincially. We have a friendly province toward homeschooling. We do not have to register to homeschool. There are, there are no requirements for curriculum, no particular evaluations. We enjoy complete freedom here. And we're always praying for protection over that because there are certainly provinces where that is not the case and families can have very difficult times. Um, in terms of our area of Toronto, we are exotic creatures. We do not much know homeschoolers. Uh, it was met with a lot of suspicion in the neighborhood um, from some family members, people we would meet in the parish, for example. But the beautiful thing is 
as the boys grew and they began to see the fruits, that melted away. And other people also derive joy now from this different path that they're taking. And I've found that um, certainly from uh, priests who are friends of ours and our pastor, I have received um, more requests to speak to parents about homeschooling now. <clears throat> A lot of this is with the discouragement with uh, culture in public Catholic schools and these increasingly progressive ideologies that are contrary to our faith. So it is becoming uh, more of an issue. But that being said, there is a very lively homeschooling community. So um, for the greater Toronto area, I would say people drive, you know, anywhere upward to an, from an hour away. Um, and we meet about 80 children and their families every other week. So we have a co-op and that's largely an enrichment group. So that would be a focus on art, drama. We do history, phys ed, uh, which is a grace because those can be the subjects harder to hit on well at home, trying to get through the core subjects. Um, and we're also blessed because my sister who has three boys, um, we'll meet also once a week because she homeschools and together I'll focus on the fine arts. She'll do music. We'll do writing together um, with some of the boys, um, sometimes math, oftentimes history or science. So there is a liveliness. You just have to find it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Do you find yourself needing to start things in order to have them? Does that make sense? Like you're looking for a particular to uh, fulfill a particular need that, and so have you, have you had to start that yourself in your area? That's a good question. I don't think so. You know, the funny thing is we're kind of the veterans now, which is, I remember coming in um, when Jacob was just four years old. I had some very young ones and, um, we were the the new people in the group. And now um, we are the veterans of the group. And I think that group is so um, established um, and lively. And there are activities that branch off from that. So um, for example, this past weekend, we were just at a family, Kaylee. So one of the, the families um, there um, tends to organize that. Now, there's another family who has affiliations with parliament. So there's an activity organized where all the children do that. So I think there's so many gifts and um, graciousness of service within the group that it begins to spiral out on its own. So everybody contributes a little bit that, that they have. And um, it's been a very beautiful experience in that way. That sounds really neat. How did you hear about and then decide upon Colby? Well, that was actually from a family that was in our homeschooling co-op, uh, the whole family. They're at recent graduates. They're in the States now. Um, but their children were just that little bit older than ours and had begun. And we were convinced at that point that homeschooling was providing the boys with the best academic, social, emotional faith formation. And it was important for their health and safety. We had a love for classical education and um, we had tried to enter into that as best we could. So hearing about Colby and the marrying of the classical education, the rooting in the faith um, was a pure gift. And we had also made a decision that in high school, we wanted the boys to have an opportunity with teachers who were specialized and passionate about their subject matter. Um, for example, literature, that's not my gift. Um, and I wanted them to be inspired by someone where it was their gift. Um, same in the science, I'm from a science background, my husband as well. And we wanted them to have that experience of a math teacher who really knew that subject matter and could pass on the passion. 
Sometimes with homeschooling, especially in a large family, there is the impetus to get through a lot of material. So to be able to pass on not only the material, but the passion can be a heavy order. So to have someone dedicated to that, and they come to a point, you can almost see them chomping at the bit. They love that bit of intellectual stimulation. They like to get around the dinner table and, and talk about ideas. They love that social interaction um, with peers, also with teachers. Um, so it provided a perfect fit for us. Um, and they receive all of that there. And you can see how it fills something in them as they grow, that craving for a little bit more. It's almost a stretching of the wings, still well with the protection of being in the home. And especially for our boys to be able to fully focus, not to have to give mental or emotional energy to being concerned about food or safety, or today I can't eat, or today I got sick and I couldn't focus that they can be fully present um, to the experience of learning um, is, a, is a true gift for them. That is really great. I mean, as you've been talking here, it's just, again, I love homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. But, but just that, you know, as you're, these, the freedom, the ability to, um, to really, I mean, learning is hard at times, granted, but it should also be, I mean, it's so wonderful. I mean, like you're saying with all of these, these things, and, and it seems to be at least the case, then this seems to be what Colby is very strongly, strongly talks about is it is that igniting that interest, that passion that actually brings about the knowledge. I mean, you can certainly force somebody to do something. You can force them to just memorize that you know, study, but to a certain extent, you, you almost then, why well, no, not to a certain extent, you basically extinguish uh, to, to a large extent, the passion for it. you know, if you can, and with, at least for, I think as, as parents, especially as you've been able to, as we've been able to kind of go through some of these things and you think, well, yeah, okay. You have to do the, have the discipline, but, um, I would have liked to have the leisure to sit down and learn about some of these things right now to spend Absolutely. the time doing it. Wouldn't that be great? And uh, to, to kind of let them experience that a little bit more rather than, like you said, just, you know, you've got to do this. You've got every day, you've got, you know, eight hours that you've got to just grind away. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that. We can, we can stretch things out. We can spread things out. We can take our time. Um, but the most important thing, yeah, getting that it's igniting that wonder and that interest seems seems really important. Absolutely. And and to speak to that, I think it's a beautiful thing the way the Colby teachers make their gifts known. We hear all about this around the, the dinner table, you know, Mrs. Powers with her costumes and Dr. A with, you know. His, his guitar and his jokes. And it draws them in because children are attracted by joy and they're attracted by beauty. And so these are not insignificant things. And I think to see the different gifts, the different ways of being, the different ways of teaching um, other people's loves in academia, some love numbers, some love poetry, to be drawn into somebody else's love of beauty, wherever it is found, is a powerful experience. And I see them light up with that. And I think, Stephen, to your point of that daily drudgery, I think that can happen, I think, unfortunately, easily. At least I speak to our own homeschooling with so many children trying to make it through. What I do know eventually needs to be accomplished and in a way, because I'm limited to my way of doing things, there's a slow growth and I learn from others. Uh, we do things a particular way that I can see has worked. And that for young people, I think can become a slog. So when they're immersed at this age, when they're really opening up emotionally, intellectually, and they're hit 
with this new personality who has this new love for literature, who talks to them about a book they read by themselves in a way where they see it completely differently and tells a few good jokes or is wearing a costume. It's life-changing. So it's been such a grace um, for them to really establish that love of learning, which everybody always speaks about as being the ultimate goal of homeschooling. But unfortunately, I think without mixing it up that little bit and incorporating the gifts and talents of others, um, it can be really hard to nail that. It sure is a, a tremendous blessing to have the opportunity to bring our own gifts and strengths. I, I know I have mine then, and I can relate there. Science is, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> so, to be able to, to uh, draw in the gifts and talents of others to assist, assist us in this. That's, it's a huge, I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to the point of science, um, with your science background, have you found, I think for some folks, that's a sticking point uh, on homeschooling. They were like, well, I would homeschool, but I don't, I, I don't know how to do the science part. What would you say to someone who says, why well, I, I would homeschool, but I'm not sure about how to do science? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would go the same as any statement ending in, I would homeschool, but. So that's one of those statements that gives me the chills. So the one I hear most often is, oh, isn't that great? You homeschool, you must be so patient. I would homeschool, but I'm not patient. And meanwhile, I'm dying inside because I know I'm the most impatient person. So I always say, well, homeschooling to me is the school of patience. Just as they say marriage is the school of love, I say homeschooling for me is the school of patience. So sometimes the Lord puts us where he desires us to grow. So I don't think you particularly need to be or know anything, just having an openness to his will and a desire to learn and grow. So one thing is learn along with them. I mean, that's been so fruitful. This week, I am learning about evergreen trees. I've never known so much about evergreen trees. I'm very versed in the life sciences, but not earth sciences. And this week with my grade six student, we are focusing on this and we'll be going shortly to a Christmas tree farm. So we're planning to apply this knowledge. It's a small thing, um, but it sticks with them, especially when it becomes practical. But one thing I have learned over the years, which has been so freeing, is you don't need to do these subjects every day. There are certain ones, yes, writing a little bit every day, doing the math every day, the grammar. We do all these core subjects every day. But science, you can cycle. So maybe a really tough time went by. I didn't even think about science for three weeks, four weeks. So then we do science for a two-week cycle. And that's what we're doing. We'll do a full, it's amazing how much can get covered in that time. So we'll do sometimes a cycling with subjects like science, geography, History, we tend to incorporate into writing so that we're nailing two things at once. Um, but it doesn't have to be every day because I find once they start into reading about the science, then they're hungry for it. It's not an everyday thing. It's a treat. <laughs> when mommy gets down to science, that is special. They actually beg me to do science. So then we go on a science stint and we will cover an incredible amount. So the idea of cycling through. So for two weeks, we do science. For two weeks, we'll do some geography. For two weeks, we'll do history. And then cycling back, um, I found to be very beneficial. Also, it can be beneficial sometimes if it's a place where it's not a core subject in the same sense as the math, the grammar, the, the writing, so forth. And you have time or feel more relaxed um, in the summer months, um, you can always hit on things then. I myself like to take a break. When it's time for a break, I'm, I'm fully present. <laughs> but some people um, do enjoy doing that as well. 
But I think that the true gift of homeschooling is the learning along with. And the grace is you can manage that through your children's elementary and intermediate years. Once they hit high school and it's at a level that's different or requiring more, then there's the gift of Colby. And that's definitely um, continues to be an impetus for us. Also, I think we didn't feel comfortable in high school, especially with our interest in maths and sciences. We have boys who are interested in engineering and medicine, for example. I didn't have a particular comfort with marking them and assessing them myself. I felt at a particular point, there was benefit to having a more objective assessment. It's difficult sometimes as their mother, you say, well, he bombed this one, but I know he was sick. Mwah. I'll be a bit, you know, to get to get rid of that and say, well, how did you do, right? How did you do? Because there comes a point um, when that is important. And speaking to that, a little bit off topic, but I do say this to any um, friends in, in the homeschooling group who are coming in or who are newer, the Colby Diploma is very powerful in Ontario for homeschoolers. So that is a testimony to Colby, for sure. Homeschooling um, historically has not been an easy path into receiving a university or college education. Um, but now in the applications to universities in Ontario, uh, Colby is an already stated option. And we were speaking to a liaison who is specifically dealing with Colby applicants, who's very well versed um, with Colby students. And so I'm always telling homeschooling families, there's so much flexibility in the Colby diploma, which is such a gift. You know, we have certain families who do a little bit of homeschooling themselves, some online Colby, and they may take, you know, a theology course with homeschool connections um, or elsewhere, and they amalgamate it into a Colby diploma. But that Colby diploma is powerful. So I always try to encourage families, instead of the old school way of assimilating your own transcript, which is what homeschooling families used to do, um, if it's possible um, to become a Colby student and earn that diploma, um, because especially in the maths and sciences, it's very valuable. And we've been very grateful for that, making a way for Jacob this year. It certainly seems like you've captured one of the, the things that just stands out to me is, or my wife always says about being a homeschooling family or being especially a homeschooling mom is that you do what you love and what you're good at and what you have to do and then you find others to, to <laughs> whether it's whether it's a teacher or whether it's colby to help you you know put together that transcript and make sure you've checked off all the boxes that a college is going to be looking for that's what homeschooling is all about you do what <laughs> you do what you you do and you you subcontract everything else but absolutely and i think that's uh a slow letting go that happens over time. And it's also a letting go, I think, of the ego that can happen when you homeschool, that I can do it all. You know, that's the dangerous place. I can do it all. And then um, everybody suffers. And I think with, with that attitude, there's a grace with saying, actually, I can't. Somebody else can do this better than me. Let's try to find who this is. And so certainly at, at Colby, and especially even um, our academic advisors have been such a help, just bringing us, leading us through this process. I was saying to Jacob, gosh, when I went to high school, there was a guidance counselor whose full-time job was to help us get into university. And now I'm a guidance counselor. Yeah. So it was so overwhelming. We had to learn the whole university system, how to apply. But once again, as you were saying, Stephen, we had our academic advisor who was so helpful and so attentive in getting us the documentation we needed um, in such a timely way. 
Um, so that was such a grace. I would also like to say, since we're on this topic, uh, for those families in Canada with children who will be applying to universities in math and science programs, the benefit of beginning your children's high school courses in grade eight, because of Colby's focus on the humanities, which is beautiful, and one of the reasons that we love the school, we do have to start earlier with the sciences to be able to fit in what's required. Because in Canada, you do need to get to the AP level for courses um, in order to be considered for most maths and sciences. So we have our grade eight students starting with algebra one and IPC in grade eight and also doing Latin one, which covers a grade nine language, so that they've got three high school credits in grade eight, which makes more room to hit on those AP courses as they advance through. So that's a really important tip because otherwise it's very difficult to fit in the requirements that we need in Canada. I like maybe for a different reason, but I like that as well because Colby, does have a very rigorous high school program and being able to dip your toe a little bit into that and when you're in eighth grade rather than getting slammed with the whole thing in ninth I mean you could still do it and a lot of students do but I I, I really like that idea of of acclimating yourself to the the increased work and and without having it just be that tidal wave you know so I would I would wholeheartedly um encourage that too to just don't wait till ninth grade think about eighth grade and and start start that journey then absolutely and that has been our mentality so in grade seven just to dip their toe into that virtual world of school they take literature seven and life sciences so those are two places where i know know thyself I don't teach well at that point. <laughs> so um, they have a beautiful experience of two wonderful courses. They don't feel overwhelmed with learning the new infrastructure, how to be a virtual student, how to use the technology, because prior to that, they're completely unfamiliar with using a computer um, in that way. We don't use a lot of tech in our home otherwise. Um, so they really enjoy that and they can just focus on being present to the learning and getting used to the experience. And then come grade eight, when they've adapted to being an online student, they're ready then. So they continue with the literature eight, because again, I don't do well with that. Um, and then they can fit in those three high school courses and they're comfortable at that point um, with being a Colby student. That's great. And then, and then they end up being fully online for the rest of high school. Okay. Yeah. So we do then as of grade nine proper through grade 12, they are full-time online. And, you know, this is another case of know thyself. And I say, good for you, Jacob, because I gave them the option to do self-paced um, or some homeschool. And he said, you know, I know myself and I will let those courses slide if I don't have the accountability of the online. So it is um, a lot in some senses to have full online course load, but they do well with it and they love it. So they love the interaction with the peers, the teachers, they like the accountability of the deadlines. And I think they do well with that bit of an adrenaline rush. Um, I don't know if it's particularly a boy thing, but they do thrive on that. So I find just to have that little bit of go, go, um, they do very well with that. So they enjoy it fully and completely. I see them only if they have questions, if they would like help studying, if they would like help editing a paper, um, but they are otherwise completely independent, which is also a joy when I see that happen. There'll be a moment in grade seven or eight where you see them adjusting and adapting and wobbling a little. And then there's the moment when they take off. I always find it a beautiful thing to see. And they're independent, they're lively, they have an energy 
they're coming to the table with their stories. It's, um, you can see the growth. It seems like there's, you mentioned liking to enjoying taking a break at times as well. It, it seems like in the online program, that's one of the nice things that you don't necessarily get when you're homeschooling. It's like, no, there's a deadline, but once I do it, it's done then. And then, you know, I can actually take my Christmas break and enjoy that time, you know, and sometimes in homeschooling with the, you know, okay, it's not, it doesn't have to be today. It could be next week. It, and that then it's just kind of drags on and, and you've got this constant feeling of like you haven't accomplished what you were, wanted to do and, and things. So so it does provide that nice little those bound some boundaries to some structure to all of that. But. And absolutely. And I think that's where you have to have um, an understanding of who you are, who your children are, who your family is as a unit, because we are people who love to work hard and then rest hard or play hard, but we like to be present to what we're doing. And that was actually a learning um, from early on for me was I am not a multitasker at all. So I think you hear those inspiring stories of the homeschooling mom who's making the casserole while she's crocheting a scarf, while she's teaching science, while she's correcting math. <laughs> and I remember trying to be that. And it was an utter failure. And I felt like an utter failure because it wasn't working. And I had no peace. And it was the realization that it simply wasn't who God made me to be. And so letting go of that and now our homeschooling looks very different and is more restful for all of us simply because of that acknowledgement of who we are. And so I believe we're all like that. So now when it's school time, it's school time and we go hard. But then when it's break time, we love um, enjoying that American Thanksgiving break. Um, so we went to the cottage. We did something very Canadian. We jumped into that freezing cold lake. There was actually snow up there when we were there and did some polar bear dipping. Um, but <laughs> oh, we boy. love that. So we'll enter into that fully. And then we, we come back and we know, well, here we go. And we're going to go hard now for four more weeks. And then we're going to really rest and rest well to restore. Some families, though, I know, they enjoy taking cyclical breaks, um, kind of working through, not having the long summer or the longer vacation. So I think, again, it's simply what works for you and your way of being as a family. So on your homeschooling side, your, with your younger students, what, what does that setup look like? How do you make that work? How do you kind of work with everybody and mm -hmm. what, all that sort of thing? So I think that was another point of learning for me. So when we began, because we had a larger family, I was often counseled to homeschool them in groups. So to gather um, similarly aged children and target one subject with the lot of them. And again, I found with time, I was losing my peace there. I didn't feel that um, they were learning as well as they should. Sometimes you have a little one who's a little bit slower, who begins to notice a difference and a feeling of being less than. Sometimes you have a little one who's very bright and you begin to see an ego grow because he's that little bit quicker. So there were certain elements and I felt it wasn't serving us. And this was an intentional letting go of that philosophy that I felt larger families were supposed to engage in. And I decided instead that I would give each child a dedicated 30 to 40 minutes, depending on their age. So they know, so this happens, we meet for a morning prayer, around eight in the morning, and then we start. And 
Each child knows when I'm with a particular child, I'm only with that child. So if they have questions in that time, while they work independently, waiting for their time, they just will write them down or circle it on their sheet and they wait till their time. So in their time, I will teach their lessons. I will go through their corrections. It's been a real grace for keeping up with corrections. Corrections are my nemesis because when they build up, oh my goodness, yeah. to go back through those and to address any questions. And so that's been a real grace because for me, I'm much more of a one-on-one -on -one person. Um, I thrive from feeling that I've had quality time, accompanied that particular person. And then I find they're happy. They can go off and work independently because I think they feel that they've been tended to as they need to. So we're doing that from about 8.30 in the morning till about 12.30. So I'm working primarily with uh, grade six and lower students there. Um, and then we'll come to lunchtime. I do often group children together for religion classes. So often with the older boys who are developmentally ready, I'll do something like theology of the body or a study like that with them. Um, but I find there's the little ones around elementary years who can work together well and the intermediate years and I'll do that over lunch. So while they eat, um, it's good to keep the hands and mouths busy. <laughs> they will listen to religion and then they all have their little activity books. They like to um, color, um, particular religious coloring books if they're finished eating while I do that lesson. And I'll also use that to do read aloud. So I'll always do some good picture books for the little guys so they feel they've been tended to. And then right now we're going through the Narnia series again, which the little ones, interestingly, they, they enjoy quite a bit too. It's funny what they come up with, but um, I'll do something like that. So that's what I use lunch hour for. Then they all go outside after their chore. Um, I'll eat something and I'll leave the afternoon from two to four um, to help any, we call them the Colby kids, um, the older students in Colby, um, if they have any questions. Otherwise, I'll do writing with the younger set, science, um, any of the uh, subjects that weren't core that we didn't hit on in the morning. And so everybody has a sense of, I'm going to get my time with mom. And it's, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get my time with mom. And that, that had to be a learning there, it didn't uh, it didn't have a smooth takeoff necessarily. There was a lot of interrupting. Um, but in time, I think when when they had the security that yes, I would get my time. Um, and I'll tell them in the morning the ordering so they know. And I'll say, Benjamin, today you're first, then John, then Joseph, and Sammy. And they'll then they know and they work until then. Um, so that's it's been a real, a real grace, I think, for each of our personalities, because I think in our in our family, we tend to be that way, uh, more one-on-one -on -one type, um, benefiting from that interaction. And we have one particular son who really does not do well with a lot of background noise and the, sometimes the chaos that can come from the group work. Uh, so it's important for him that we do it that way. And you mix up who goes first? I do. I'm trying to be equitable, Bonnie, you know, <laughs> I feel like these are the things they'll remember after years yeah. of slaving, they'll say, but you always chose me last. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> of course. Yes. That's great. That's so helpful to think. Um, I do far less of most, our kids here are mostly online now. So, but I remember <laughs> that when they were mostly offline and it was how do we balance who does what, when, and when do I have my time with this one? And so, yes, that's super helpful to hear about. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I got to ask you about the outside in the Canada in the January, all of that. Yeah. And so talk to me about weathering the winter, they, and just winter in Canada. What I, where I live, the summertime gets so hot that it might as well be uh, tons of snow on the ground and we're all staying inside out of the heat. But so tell me about how you make that work the opposite there. <laughs> yeah. So I have to say 
there is no loss of morale in a harsh winter they love it the loss of morale comes if it's a warm slushy green winter so they're hoping for snow so i'll find in the summer unless we're at the cottage where there's a lake um i have to push them outside sometimes it can be hot in the city you know we're um we're we're right in the city so but they love the snow so so they'll be outside the whole day if they could Hmm. and i think um being raised as a public school student, I remember the pure gift of a snow day. So I still relish in a snow day. (laughs) We have no need to take a snow day. We don't rely on a bus, but I tell you, we'll take them. So we'll go with the cousins to a local tobogganing hill. We tend to get an ice rink poured in our backyard every winter. Now I, I am a true boy mom. I talk about hockey. I watch them play hockey. <laughs> Everything's hockey. So they belong to a, a house league hockey team. I'm going to, to watch them tonight. Um, and they enjoy playing in the backyard. They do a hockey camp um, with their uncle before Christmas. We do do a very Canadian thing. Um, in February, we'll go to this winter resort and they'll snowmobile. We will snowshoe. There's dog sledding. Um, so we really make the most of the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you find that the um, shorter daylight hours? How How does that? You go know why I love shorter daylight hours? That means earlier bedtime. <laughs> I'm like, look, yes. everybody, it's dark. Even time for bed. <laughs> even though it's four in the afternoon. So I actually like the rhythm that it gives to a day. I find it can be a little bit tedious in the heat of summer when it's still daytime at 10 at night. You're like, can you all please just go to bed now? But um, I do love the rhythm of the winter. So we're all, I find everybody kind of adjusts to that. So you're putting away your work and, and we try to live by natural light as much as we can. We just enjoy that more. And so it's getting dimmer then. And, and so the day kind of naturally comes to an end. So we all enjoy the peace of, of the winter time, I think. I think that's, that's so great. I mean, and I like I like homeschooling as well for this purpose. I I grew up in rural Wisconsin um, with some of the short short days during the, but I was a public school child. So it meant that when I went into school, it was dark. And when I got out of school, it was dark. So that wasn't all that much fun. But uh, if you can get out there and and embrace the the snow and the ice, like like it sounds like you have, then then winters are pretty magnificent. And then coming in to get warmed up and a hot cup of tea or hot cocoa and the, the fire, if you've got one, is mm, so good. Absolutely. It's such a beautiful time. It really is a romantic time. You know, I think with the, just like in a storybook, the fire and hot cocoa and the books, everything you said, it's just uh, for those who are attracted to beauty, I think uh, a good winter is hard to beat. You make you're very convincing as, as tempting <laughs> as it seems to me the way you present it. <laughs> Do you have any words of wisdom to families just getting started or families struggling either in a time transition, like getting ready for your eldest to to go to college next year, or um other other types of transitions of hard difficult seasons in family life, things like that? Any any kind of words of wisdom you want to offer? Mm-hmm. Well, I think One of the beauties, again, of homeschooling is the flexibility. So we are in a time of transition right now. We're actually in a rental home. Uh, We're having our home, which originally belonged to my husband's grandparents. So it's an old family home is being expanded because now we have all these big boys and we're anticipating they'll be home with us through their university years because of their health issues. And I need a much larger kitchen because I'll tell you the (laughs) amounts of food now that I'm cooking every day. Um, Homeschooling has been a grace again, because in the time where we needed to pack up and leave, we could, with those I homeschooled, put that to to the side and they were part of that process. It was a little bit different with um, the Colby kids. Uh, because they do have the set schedule being online, but their teachers are so accommodating. I remember even at the start of the year, 
Mrs. Powers sending out an email asking if there were any transitions happening in the family that year she should know about. There's such an attentiveness, I think, to, to the dignity and experience of each child at Colby, which is very touching. But it's important, and I think this is a real grace of homeschooling, that the children are part of these times of transition and difficulty. So when they're at a public school, they're often removed from that because they're away for the day. They come home and it's time to eat and go to bed and get ready for the next day. I remember that cycle from being young. But to be part of the transitions, the times of difficulty, the times of struggle, that's a grace for everybody, for the young ones and the teens um, to see their parents having to live their faith in times where there can be struggle or hardship, that's no less important uh, than learning how to do algebra. So I think it's uh, a grace of homeschooling, not something to shy away from, to hide from the children, but that they enter it into appropriately, of course, depending on their, their age. But when we come to January, we have to work together now to get back to our house. Uh, so we have to work extra hard now. Everybody knows that. Everybody's working harder than we typically would trying to accomplish more because we know there will be a three week time there that we have to account for where we all need to be helping and cleaning and packing. Um, so I think it's actually, it's a grace and it makes me think of the lockdown, um, we actually had uh, our eighth baby during that time, a home birth because the hospitals were very challenging places to be, especially to birth a baby. That was a first for us. And that again, was a new experience for everybody. So what a grace, you know, that was such a, a time. And I say this with a sensitivity to so many who, struggled with heavy crosses during that time. But to see the providential care of God with their homeschooling too. You know, we had a baby in the home. They continued with their, their homeschooling. They were growing, they were learning. We saw the world fall away around us. And we had this little abode, this dwelling place of peace that the Lord had provided. And so they were part of that experience of having the baby, you know, caring for the baby, continuing with the work. And I always involve them in that. So for example, that can be a challenging time when you welcome a new baby into the home. Um, but there's always someone ready to hold the baby. That's a break. That's the coveted break. So you do well, you get to hold the baby. So <laughs> it's always been, we've always done that with our um little ones for those families starting out, that can be a wonderful way to have the children take a break and tend to the little ones at the same time. So you just finished your 30 minutes. You can go and play with the little one now or read a story and, um, and everybody loves that. Um, so I think really involving the children in life. And I've come to see that. I think I used to segment homeschooling. This is school, and then this is our life. And that was a slow learning over time. No, this is our life, and homeschooling is part of this. This is the unique life that God chose specifically for us, and homeschooling is a part of it. And I think when that philosophy of how we were living changed, and homeschooling wasn't this extraneous peace, things began to change. There was a new beauty to it, a new joy, a new peace to it. And part of that is simply involving everyone in that life. So that means schooling, yes, but that means we just had a new baby. That means now we're moving, or that means now somebody's ill. And it's all part of that life. That's been something I've appreciated in our experience as well. It's like, this is, this is all part of it. 
I am confident that this is going to serve them well and as they enter into their own lives down the road, in the various seasons of their lives. Do you have any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to leave with us? I think a final thought is to spend time you haven't already reflecting on where you find joy and where your children find joy in your family. Because I truly think that when I meet the Lord one day, he'll say, did you love it? Like, did you love what I did for you? And I think I was missing that. I think so often it's easy to fall into self-pity because often people will respond to us homeschooling by, oh, you must work so hard. How do you do that? How do you never, right? And you can enter into that and it's not healthy. And the realization that God has us here for our joy completely changes it. And I want to say to him, yeah, I loved it. Like I didn't miss that moment when you did this. And I didn't miss that moment when you did that. And I don't think every family has a call to homeschooling. I think there are times certainly in a family life that can be particularly stressful or the family can discern it's not necessarily their call. But if you do feel the call to enter into it deeply knowing that God chose it with you in mind. And why is that? Why is that? Why does he know there's something there that will bring you joy? And I think, why does he know that's a way of salvation for you? For me, there's so many learnings about myself leading me to him, leading me to know myself in this journey. It hits on the most wounded places in me so often. And the children see that. And there's a necessity to ask forgiveness through a day, different witnesses to faith that can build the community, can build a community of love. So enter into that joy. And I think your children witnessing you tending to that, it can be very small things. I never feel I have particular talents. You see these wonderful mothers with their knitting or their music look at you with this po podcast. I love to bring beauty to the home, small things. I love, you know, decorating for, you know, Christmas or the Easter time or little things like this. It brings me a deep joy. It's not something I think I would have entered into deeply um, had we not chosen this way of living, cooking for them, serving them in small ways, reading out loud, all of these different things, um, so many places to find beauty. And I wanted to thank you because I would not have done this had you not so gently persuaded me because this was a new learning for me and I feel very grateful. Grateful to Colby, grateful to you um, for your patience with me and grateful to God. So thank you. Especially as all as we air this and we're starting up the new school year in January, and then there's that kind of normally dreaded February coming up. But I love that call to find the joy in your own day, and and I love I love that. I think that's something that that we can all kind of reflect on, and that yeah, encountering our Lord at the end and saying, wasn't that wasn't that fun? You know what? what <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. You know, looking for that, looking for that. I love I love that. Thank you so much. Before we go, Bonnie, I have to say it. What do you make for lunch and what do you make for dinner? Okay. <laughs> I have so, to bring it back. Sure. Of course. So for dinner last night, we did breakfast for dinner. Okay. Um, Which is sometimes it, it seems like a, almost an easy out, but it's, it works. That's great. I, I, um, yeah. So that's what we did last night for lunch. It tends to, I've been trying to make when I, when I make it a, dinner that it has more components or any different components than breakfast dinner. We don't tend to have leftovers from breakfast for dinner. I'm trying to make dinners that have leftovers so that that can yeah. be lunch. Yeah. So that's what we do. That's what I okay. had for lunch today with some leftovers from a previous earlier in the week. Yeah. And will your children do that themselves or you'll serve that? 
they everybody kind of does their own thing for lunch here with our okay. online class schedule. It's almost a revolving door in the kitchen. Um, yeah. Right. And they, okay, so they the just... different, yeah. So lunch is not really, however, a lot of times now with our busy evening schedules, we will try to move up our family meal to earlier in the day, either lunchtime or even mid afternoon, which is what happened. Oh. Um, what day is this? A couple of days ago, they had a late afternoon activity that was going to go late into the evening. So we had, it was almost like Sunday dinner, like mm-hmm. we ate at like three 30, you know? Yeah. So, that used to so, be yeah. the way it was. You eat mm-hmm. your big meal then. And yes. tell me, Stephen, what do you do for lunch and dinner? This is my classic question. <laughs> so, dinner last night for us as well was leftovers because I had made a very a variety of chicken dishes early on oh, in the week, and so nice. most of us were eating the leftovers. And my daughter, who's has many food allergies, was was on oh. a, an omelet that I made for her. But and then I only eat dinner so i don't eat breakfast or lunch yeah okay i'm tremendously grateful that you that you came to visit with us today know of our prayers for you and your family and our gratitude to you thanks again thank you bonnie thank you stephen subscribe to the colby cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review and as always feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, St. Ignatius of Loyola, holy saints and angels, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.